Hi there, and welcome to the Jeff MacArthur Podcast for Wednesday, October the 14th. Coming up, some Ontario school boards canceling high school exams. A Toronto barbershop giving discounts to those who buy and shop local. And the candy slide, a great idea that could save Halloween for the kids who want to go door-to-door in the middle of this pandemic. All of that coming up right now on the Jeff MacArthur Podcast. Okay, the TDSB is one of a few school boards that have decided to do away with exams this semester, opting instead for a few more days of in-class learning. Annie Kidder is with People for Education and joins us now on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Annie, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay, no exams. We were joking off the top of the show that if you've ever thought to yourself, gee, I really wish I was back in high school, with no exams, this might be the time. What do you think, Annie? I'm not sure if anybody would want to be in the time we're in right now. Um, But yes, I'm sure there are definitely people going, oh, yeah, I wish I was going to school when there weren't exams. I think it's important to understand that even even the term exam, for some in many high schools and many boards, the exams could be a kind of what they called a culminating project too. So it wasn't necessarily, I happen to be very old. Um, so it wasn't necess- it isn't even now necessarily sitting down, writing that, you know, terrifying final exam where you have to remember everything you've learned in the whole year. Um, there was already a kind of evolution away from that. Yeah. So exactly how is this going to work? I mean, we understand instead of a day set aside for examinations, they're just going to turn that into more in-class learning opportunities. Yeah, and I think that what what kids students will get is a mark for their work over the course of the term. Um, and exams or the culminating activity were worth about a third of the mark before. Now, um, everything that you did over the the course of the term will go into that that final mark. There will still be a mark. Um, it just won't be this, uh, you know semi, a little bit artificial thing, which is the exam at the end. Some people are great at exams, some people aren't. You know, is this really actually COVID or no COVID? Um, the best reflection of the the work kids are doing. Well, you know, I think that's the bigger question here. I mean, is this perhaps for telling something down the road? Is this the, ex- uh, the end of the exam, as it were? I mean, do we need exams as we've traditionally known them? Is it really the best way to judge whether or not a student has really learned the curriculum? Well, I think that is the question, and I think that what we all hope during these insane times is that we're also learning from what's going on. So, yes, I think, you know, a big impetus for this was, can you really get somebody to write an exam after, you know, a quadmester? So after they've been learning for two months about something, is this the best way to kind of find out what they've learned? Um, But I think that going forward, um, as we're thinking about what are the things that are really important that we're making sure kids have learned yes the curriculum is important but also there's a lot of other kind of learning skills under that Um, and can we measure that in exams probably not they have to be measured in a lot of other ways in terms of what's happening inside classrooms so other provinces have already uh, moved somewhat forward in this in bc they have what they call core skills uh, that they definitely assess, and assessment's a really important part of learning, uh, but not necessarily in a final exam. Yeah, because I think back to high school and university, when I had to write exams, you would cram for hours and days on end, and then basically, you know, 
regurgitate it, throw it back up on a page, and then you'd walk out and keep your fingers crossed that you got a good enough mark that uh, you passed or could move on. But you've really got to wonder, and I think back to some courses, how much did I really retain? How much did I really learn? And really, the best learning, isn't it done when you're in the classroom and you're fully engaged by a great teacher day after day? Yeah, no, it is. But also, I mean, some forms of tests actually are helpful in terms of learning, not maybe necessarily that kind of exam where I did those two, where you cram, uh, you know, maybe they're multiple choice, you regurgitate, you hope you passed, and it all kind of goes, you know, in one side of your brain and out the other. I mean, and so I think that there definitely is a, a value to going to the process where students have to kind of answer questions about about the the the, the material that they've been learning. But again, most importantly, if you think about your life now, I'm not sure the most important skill that you have is I know how to write an exam, but the most important skill you have is figuring out what you really need to retain and how to retain it and how to persist when things get really, really hard or how to communicate your, what you're, you know, you do the job you do. So communication is very important. The meaning underneath what you're saying, these are the things that are, that are really vital going forward, being able to think critically, being, you know, able to take something you've learned in one area and apply it to another. So even the idea that we have very, very specific subjects and you have an exam in one subject that's totally different than another subject, even that's a little bit of kind of old thinking. So hopefully this is a little bit the, you know, necessity being the mother of invention, uh, that actually this is going to fuel some, some new thinking and some evolution in education. And it's definitely like we can't it is not, you know, business as usual or pedagogy as usual in school. So we have to accommodate the 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 rapidly changing situation that we're all in. For sure, and I'm kind of chuckling as uh, you're, you know, just uh, making that last comment because I think you're you're so bang on. That is hitting the nail right on the head. Because again, I think back to writing exams, and I remember sitting down, particularly in courses. Maybe I wasn't overly engaged in. I mean, we all have certain subjects we like more than others. Uh And I can remember sitting there, and here's where the analytics comes in. I think uh, I thought to myself, I can't possibly know all of this. I can't study all of this in the time frame uh, between now and the exam. So I've got to analyze, and I almost have to outthink the teacher, and I'm trying to pick what I think the questions are going to be. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really where the skill in writing a good exam is, and you're absolutely right about that. It's all about uh, analyzing things and analyzing situations, and that is a core skill that I think a lot of people uh, obviously uh, use and depend upon far beyond high school. No, absolutely. And so you're kind of, you know, hedging your bets there. Maybe hedging your bets is a core skill to live in the world right now. But it is, you know, it's like strategizing. So maybe strategizing is, a, you know, something that you learn when you have to write exams. But maybe there are other ways to actually show that you've learned that and be able to communicate how you could think about different strategies, you know, in the complex world that we're in right now, um, rather than strategizing to go, you know, I think Mrs. Fowler is going to put these four 
things on the exam. I'll study those. Um, and not the other things. Sometimes we're wrong when we do that, too. It's terrible. Um, but, it, you know, but it is like trying to, you know, know that it's 2020. Um, the world is complex. It's interconnected. It's changing fast. Goodness knows. Um, and what we want to make sure is that kids are learning how to learn, how to keep on learning, and how to apply the things they've learned to a wide range of situations. And it's hard to, um, I think it's harder to discern that with just a plain, simple exam, but you definitely can through ongoing assessment in, in the classroom. Okay. Having said all of this, I don't think exams are going anywhere, at least in the short term. And we look at exams being canceled in the TDSB here for the fall. And obviously there were no exams in the spring because there was no school. It was canceled because of the pandemic. Do you think that uh, this is good for students? Do you think some students are going to slip through the cracks or fall behind because they haven't been in that situation, had to face that uh, pressure of writing a test or an exam? Well, I think there are lots of worries about students falling through the cracks right now. I'm not sure the prime one is but because they're not writing exams, but I... I we are very concerned about how much we're relying on families to support students, students in high school who it, most of the students in Ontario are doing half their learning online. Um, so there is a real worry about falling through the cracks. I'm not sure. I think that by if you only notice by the time you get to a final exam, uh, it, too late maybe too extreme a word to use, but um, that we have to be noticing that right away. Um, and I'm not sure that, that exams necessarily help with that. It's that ongoing assessment, the ongoing interaction um, with the, the teacher and the other staff in schools, that that's, that's where, A, either you notice that things are going off the rails, or B, where you're building, again, that, that real, the really deep learning that's going to stick with you, um, you know, hopefully throughout your life. Uh, just finally, Annie, uh, what does this mean for university and college acceptance? Has that been worked out? I mean, if we've got some students that have not been tested, don't have exams and don't have uh, marks, uh, but their marks are given out because of what they've done in class as opposed to others where it's based on examinations. I mean, do we have two different playing fields here now? Well, it's, I don't actually know the answer to that. I think it is important. There's still, there's still going to be tests. Those won't disappear with, with exams. And I think that we just had that situation in the spring where kids graduated without final exams. And universities and colleges are also having to be flexible about um, how they're, what they're using to um, judge I can't think of another word, students, um, in terms of their entrance. I know in BC they have already made the change somewhat so that um, there are more post-secondary institutions using portfolios to decide on admission. So there is a kind of gradual change happening in that way because, again, you know, even for post-secondary, does that mark um, tell you uh, whether or not, you know, all the learning is, is, has, has really happened. You know, is it that, you know, that very kind of narrow uh, measure, a good way of understanding whether or not kids are ready for whatever kind of post-secondary destination they're applying to. So I think that's, that's evolving too right now. All right. Interesting times on so many levels. Annie Kidder with People for Education. Annie, appreciate the time as always. Thanks okay. so much. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. 
want to just pick up on a couple of things the premier had to say in his uh, medical advisor, Dr. Ayafi, in the press conference we ran. Uh, premier Ford asked about end-of-life considerations and whether or not there's a uniformed message when it comes to uh, whether or not loved ones should be allowed or should be granted access to basically their loved one, uh, the hospital, to go in there when uh, they're facing uh, an end-of-life uh, situation. And the premier said, like, I understand the pain. And then Dr. Yaffe said there must be a communications uh, problem that family members should have absolutely access to their loved ones in an end-of-life situation. And they're going to look further uh, into this uh, with the hospitals. But listen, if somebody's parent is in the hospital and is days, maybe hours away from uh, dying... Those people need to be by their side. Those people need to be in the hospital full stop. I mean, no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no excuses. I mean, PPE, these uh, uh, family members, the immediate family members, loved ones, full masks, gowns, everything. But to not be able to be there with your parent or your loved one as they face death, I mean, that's just unconscionable. That is not a... Decision. That's not a communications problem. That is something that needs to be clear to every hospital and every doctor in this province. I mean, I just think back to particularly my mom's death, which was back in 2009, so a little more than 10 years ago now, in the staff at Oakville Trafalgar, and just how amazing they were with her and with us. Uh, she died of a spinal cancer. And I can't imagine not being there, particularly the final day, but the final couple of days, because there was so much uh, going on, consultation with the attending physician and the doctor. And trying to do that over a Zoom call or trying to do that over the phone, I mean, it's impossible. It's just impossible. And not being there, I mean, I remember looking into her eyes just in those final hours in that final day and you've got to see that for yourself right to know whether or not this truly is uh, the end and if this was happening now 10 years later honestly there's nothing that would stop me from getting into and being in that hospital by her bedside and there's so many other people that have been sadly in that situation over the last six seven months that uh, again there can't be a communications problem here this has to be crystal clear to hospitals, to doctors, and to people, and to those that are uh, got loved ones uh, in the hospital. You know, here's the thing also, by the way, that and why government is criticized, because there's so many conflicting messages. Because then the next topic was the TTC, and we're going to discuss this at the bottom of the hour a little more fulsome. But the TTC says that social distancing is no longer possible. That despite the fact that they were granted $400 million and you can't guarantee distancing? Uh, here is a Dr. Yaffe asked about that, about social distancing on a public a transit. Have a listen to her response. Risk. However, if you are, uh, you know, if you are very concerned, uh, don't get on the bus. I realize that may not be applicable or feasible for people. Think about also how long the trip is. If it's a very long trip, uh, can you keep away from other people as much as possible? If it's a very short trip, it may not be much of a con as much of a concern. But I think it is extremely important that everyone wear a mask. 
uh, good hand hygiene, obviously don't go out if you're not feeling well, and, um, and keep in mind your own risk tolerance as you, as you go about your daily activities. Okay, keep in mind your own risk tolerance? I mean, we had the Premier say that uh, there are consequences for people not following the rules, and one of them might be that people can't get into the hospital to see their loved one right now. Well, then, on the other hand, you have to assess your risk tolerance on getting onto public transit. Shouldn't there be clear rules, clear rules for everybody to follow so we don't find ourselves in a situation such as hospitals not allowing loved ones in to see their dying parents or close family member? I mean, if the TTC has been granted $400 million, where was that money? Where did it go? Is it, I hope, with extra buses on lines and streetcars so people don't have to make that determination? And should that determination be left up to me and my risk tolerance? Shouldn't there be strict guidelines when it comes to social distancing and how many people can be on a bus? And let's make sure that there's extra buses on those routes so people don't have to wait to... Well, as long as they have to wait for a COVID test right now for a bus to get home after a long day's work. Again, these are the kind of mixed messages and confusing messages that we're uh, getting uh, from a government that is uh, frustrating uh, people. Okay, we've been talking about and banging the drum for months now about uh, local business during the pandemic and the importance of local business and small business, which, of course, is the backbone of the Canadian economy And there's one local business that has taken it upon themselves to lift up their fellow businesses with uh, what I think is a pretty cool and innovative idea. Andy Dinner is the owner of Your Neighborhood Barbershop and joins us now for more on this here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Andy, how are you this afternoon? I couldn't be better, buddy. How are you? I'm well. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, Tell us about uh, what is uh, going on uh, in your neighborhood, in your area, when it comes to uh, supporting uh, not only your barbershop, but other local businesses. Well, since this whole, uh, you know, pandemic and lockdown started, like, I've, I, I have a lot of business owner friends in this area, and they've all been struggling so hard. And I actually opened up my business during this pandemic. I've only been open for like a month and a half now. And I still see, you know, friends of mine's businesses, um, restaurant owners, bar owners, and they're struggling. And, you know, I used to be in the bar and restaurant industry for like 10 years. So these are my people. And, you know, I, I can't just sit here and, you know, watch them all fade into oblivion, watch the neighborhood that I grew up in and I love with all my heart just falter. So, you know, just it's just wanted to throw this little tiny initiative out and promotion, and I guess it's just kind of picking up steam. It's pretty crazy, actually. Yeah, tell us a bit about it, because, again, I think it's a really neat, cool, and innovative idea where you're all trying to uh, sort of lift each other up. Absolutely. Um, so what the, what the game plan is here is you, you show me that you've bought some takeout food from a restaurant or bar in the area, bring in the receipt, I'll give you $5 off a haircut. It's that easy. And is uh, that going on if I go to your barber shop and I show a receipt uh, when I'm getting takeout pizza? Do I get a discount on that? I mean, uh, okay, you're scratching each other's backs? As long as it's like a locally owned business. Like, I don't like, if it's McDonald's or something like that, you're not really helping out our community here. But if it's like, you know, like right down the street from me, there's um, a restaurant called Double B's Deep Dish Pizza. Bring in one from there. Uh, there's 850 pizza down the street. Bring in a pizza like from something that's locally owned, or you can go to like a Kitchen on Six, which is right down the street here. 
bring me a receipt from there. You get five bucks off. It's it's pretty easy, but yeah, that's it. Well, you know, sometimes uh, the simplest ideas are the best ones, and this seems kind of like a, a no-brainer. And when I saw this uh, this morning and we got a hold of you, my first thought was, why isn't this going going on all over the place, right across uh, Toronto and right across uh, the province in Canada, really, supporting local uh, business? That's like, I mean, if I'm the first, then that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I like, what I hope is more businesses do stuff like this to help each other out. Like, we're all, like, you know, the, the common phrase through this whole thing is we're all in this together. So why not just help each other? Why not just be better? Um, we all know what's going on. It's This isn't new. And, you know, adjust, adapt, and overcome. That's it. Yeah, we so we're mentioning the word pivot yesterday. It seems to be overused when it comes to business, but so many businesses have had to pivot and find a different way of doing things. I think this is another example of that, Andy. And how did this all come about, by the way? Did you get together with other local business owners? Did you all sit down uh, over a beer or two and just kind of figure out what you could do to help each other? Well, it was the day that everything was uh, shut, like we're getting shut down. I think it was the Friday they said, that, you know, like all the restaurants had to close up at 11 o'clock that night and no more in dining and everything like that. So that night I did go out, did go to a bar right down the street here. And it kind of just popped in my head, like right there. And I brought it up to the owner and they're like, that is an incredible idea. Like, that's amazing. And I'm like, all right. And then I went, I talked to a couple other businesses and uh, ran it by them. And then they all loved it. And then I made the post online on my Instagram page there, at your neighborhood barbershop. Just going to send that plug out. And then I just tagged a bunch of other restaurants in the area. And, like, they were all messaging me and, like, commenting. And they're like, this is incredible. Thank you so much. So it's a lot of the, a lot of the restaurants I didn't even reach out to. But, like, everyone, everyone on Lakeshore Boulevard West here in South Etobicoke, they're in play. Bring me a receipt there. Show me support local. Let's keep this this area thriving. It was the, not the best area for quite a while, and now it's really starting to pick up. And the community involvement is like no, like I've never experienced. As I said, I've lived here for 33 years. I've never really experienced anything like it. And like through this whole pandemic, the way that this neighborhood's come together has been incredible. And I just want to keep that rolling because, like, this is this is the best area in Toronto. I don't care if anyone wants to disagree with me, but this is where I'm from. This is me, and I will never live anywhere else in my entire life. Yeah, and talk to us uh, when you say that this is me and it's a uh, part of uh, the fabric of uh, who I am. Just uh, how important, you know, small business, these mom-and-pop shops, local shops are when it comes to just the, the character and the vibrancy of an area. Yes, absolutely. Like, I mean... There's like, yeah, you do have a couple chains. Like, you know, there is a McDonald's. There's like a Pizza Hut. But you can go blocks without seeing a big brand. Like, that's crazy. It's, and, and this is a popular street. This is, this is, it's constantly busy here. And like, no big corporations, except for the few I named, um, have anything here. It's all locally owned businesses, this whole street. And like, I love that. You can walk down Queen Street and you can go to, you know, Urban Outfitters and, you know, winners and everything like that. There's all these big boxes. Just like there's no soul there. It's but here there is. The here is 
I love it. It's it's the best. I can't stress it enough. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that over the years. That uh, you know, you can go into a town you've never been to, and you would swear you're in your own backyard because it's all the same five or six different big box stores. And listen, they've got their place and they're certainly a popular or they wouldn't be as big as they are. But having said that, there is just something about like your neighborhood barbershop and other just small independent businesses that really add something to an area. Yeah, that's it. Without a doubt. And, uh, you know, it's I think of the king of Kensington, right? Al Waxman. Everybody, you walk down the street, everyone knows I'll your be, name. I'll be, the, I'll be the king of Lakeshore. If you want to call me that, we can, just, <laughs> we can copyright that right now. I'll be the king of Lakeshore. How about that? Well, Andy, I think this is a, uh, a king of an idea that you've uh, come up with. And uh, hopefully it uh, spreads, I think, right across the city, maybe the province and the, the country as well, as we look to support our uh, small business, our mom and pop uh, retailers. And thanks so much for joining us here this afternoon. I appreciate it. Uh, It's been my pleasure, man. Thank you very, very much. Be well. There's Andy Dinner, owner of Your Neighborhood Barbershop. And they've, uh, yeah, started something kind of cool in the area. Shop locally and take that receipt to another uh, local uh, vendor and get $5 off uh, your next purchase. Okay, here we are, smack dab, middle of the month, October the 14th, and a lot of people have got Halloween on their mind. And whether or not Halloween is going to be extra scary this year because of the pandemic, whether or not Halloween is actually even going to happen. Here is Canada's Chief Medical Officer. This is Dr. Teresa Tam. She had this to say about Halloween yesterday. Have a listen. How do we adapt to the new realities of the new Halloween? So I think trick-or-treating outside with the right... Uh, distancing, pre-packaging, you know, treats so that people are not rummaging in a bowl of uh, their bonbon uh, candies is, is actually important. Having uh, hand sanitizers for, for your kids, uh, wearing a mask, and sometimes you can actually uh, use different fabrics to turn it into part of your costume. Um, but there's some really interesting ideas where people are handing out, you know, uh, treats at the end of a hockey stick or something using a pool noodle to tell your kids how far they should be standing apart from each other. So there are ways to actually manage this. Uh, Outdoors in particular, we just talked about the potential for uh, indoors being a higher risk. And so I think that's some of the safest way of uh, doing uh, trick-or-treating. But, um, you know, we will also have tips on our website um, for people to look at as well. Okay, look forward to those, specifically when it comes to handing out treats with a hockey stick. I don't quite have my head wrapped around that yet. I mean, does Dr. Tam mean, so you've got like your bowl full of candy, and I've got like a Sherwood, and I, I don't know, put like a big ball of duct tape on the end, and I just like uh, stick, it. stick yeah. it in the uh, bucket of candy, and then I uh, hand it over to the uh, child at the door, and they rip it off the end of the stick. Is that how this is supposed to work? Would they give the ball of duct or, tape back, or? Don't know. I don't know. Or do you, or do you, do you shoot giant... it? Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's it, yeah. <laughs> Stand back, kids! Here it comes. Grab them. Yeah, that's right. you're only giving out those pep mint uh, pucks. You know those like yeah, chocolate yeah. cover, <laughs> and you're just shooting those. Yeah, at kids. yeah. I, I'm waiting all Here night comes long. The rubber. Yeah, I'm waiting all night long for a kid to arrive at my door dressed as a goalie. Yeah. Finally. All yeah. right. Here we go. Oh, that's we can try one. So yeah, I'm not exactly sure how that hockey stick thing is supposed to work, mm. but. Uh, I don't know. Mary, how do you feel about Halloween? Are you thumbs up or thumbs down on it this year? Because I know that there's uh, certain cities in Quebec who have outright canceled it. (gasps) 
Well, I think that if there's areas where there's been hot spots, and if we talk about Quebec, we can all, you know, think about that, and we've heard stories. So if there are areas where, you know, just dis, like just connecting with anybody could be a problem, I think those neighborhoods really have to figure out how they can do it in a way that's safe for everybody in the community. But generally, if you're outside and you're wearing a mask and you're being extra careful and extra cautious, you know, I, I say let's try and do what we can for the kids because, I mean, we've all sacrificed so much. But the kids, I mean, let them have a little bit of Halloween somehow, some way. I think we just all have to get on the same page. Uh, Carolyn and I were discussing this this morning on the morning show over on the TV side, and she brought up a really good point that uh, we just have to decide whether we're all in or we're all out. Because if there's certain house, houses that have decided, well, no, I'm not for Halloween this year, it's like, like how do you know, yeah. right? I mean, there's always that one home in every neighborhood. The lights are off. and No pumpkin. Yeah, they're hiding behind the furniture because they just don't want to be bothered. But <laughs> is it going to be like, instead of one yeah. out of ten homes, is it now going to be like five or six because they just don't feel like uh, Halloween's on this year. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed uh, houses, be confusing. Uh, the houses in my neighborhood have gone all out with the decorations, like all out, mm-hmm. you know, and they're just off the wall. Well, when it comes to being safe this uh, Halloween and safely handing out uh, candy, a lot of people, maybe you've seen this, has kind of gotten viral. A lot of people have been uh, trying out in uh, kind of manufacturing, if you will, these candy shoots. And joining us now is uh, Jeff Burke. He's the owner of Watermark Plumbing Service, and he joins us here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Jeff, how are you this afternoon? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Well, I appreciate you uh, joining us. Uh, Tell us, uh, I mean, I think a lot of people are wondering, why are we talking to a plumbing service when it comes to Halloween and uh, distributing candy? But uh, uh, a lot of folks are actually using some common uh, plumbing supplies to uh, make these uh, candy shoots. What can you tell us about them? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the idea that we have is we're going to be using these three or four inch sections of uh, PVC piping, you know, pretty standard stuff that typically we would be using uh, underground for your homes and stuff. So Home Depot has them, any plumbing supply will have them. And uh, yeah, the idea is that we have these five or foot, six foot lengths of pipe that we'll be strapping to the railings and, uh, you know, adults or whoever at the top of the stairs kids with their bags at the bottom and just slide the candy right down yeah i've seen these on instagram and really it's a genius and they get quite elaborate some of these don't they yeah they do i mean uh we want to provide you know the most basic uh canvas and then let the homeowner, whoever it is, have a little fun with the kids and they can decorate it however they want. Yeah, I've seen some that are dressed up with cobwebs on the side and uh, where the candy shoots out, they put like a uh, pumpkin face and the candy's coming out of the pumpkin's mouth, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. There's all sorts of fun things you can do. I've seen uh, people have put lights on them and all these different things as well. All right. And uh, by the way, the PVC pipe, it's fairly like slippery, right? In the inside, like you don't have to grease it or anything for the candy to shoot through freely. I hope not. I mean, uh, from what I've seen and tested, they seem to be working pretty well. Um, You know, the kids, uh, I don't think they have to stand too far back, but uh, no, they should work pretty well for these things. And uh, by the way, are we worried? Because I know there's a run on certain items. I mean, we think back to toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic. Everybody was so concerned we were going to run out of toilet paper. Are we heading for a PVC pipe shortage? I sure hope not, because I need it a lot for uh, for work. So yeah. <laughs> not that we've had so far anyway. All right. Well, Jeff, appreciate your time with us this afternoon. Thanks for uh, joining us.
Thanks very much. Be well. That is a Jeff Burke, owner of Watermark Plumbing. And if you haven't checked these things out online, uh, Google it. Go on Instagram. They're called Candy Shoots. And yeah, six-foot piece of PVC pipe, and away you go. Just attach it to your uh, railing. Really easy to dispense the uh, candy and remain properly, physically distant. I think it's a lot easier than the hockey stick idea. It seems safer, for sure. And just a reminder that you can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3 Eastern. Just tune in at 640toronto.com. Also, find us on Spotify. Search my name, Jeff MacArthur, or download us wherever you find your favorite podcasts.